0: We have started a series on managing life, managing life in the sense of managing life God's way and making a commitment to applying biblical principles, practical truths that we can live out. I really want this to be a practical series as we have chosen the theme of discipleship for the year 2024 Uh, This is a series that really I hope to be very, very practical uh, to really just uh, help us in understanding some real simple basic truths about the Christian life. Last week we looked at uh, the fact uh, that we are stewards, that really every area of our life is a stewardship. We often think of stewardship in the form of finances, and eventually we will get to that topic in this series but stewardship is really a stewardship of every resource, all of our life, given to the Lord. And so today, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, in verse 19, we will see our life as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the aspect of submission will uh, come across, I hope, in the theme for this lesson today. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? I know we often will say that as an imperative or as a declaration, but this verse is a question. And there's really two questions. What's the first question at the beginning of of verse 19? What? (laughs) What does that imply when we hear that? When we hear that word, I know we can say that in a lot of different ways with our voice inflection. There's the disrespectful one that we sometimes hear, "What?" <laughs> right? You ever heard that as a, or you ever had that come out of your own mouth as a, uh, as a kid maybe? And there's a disrespectful "What." That's obviously not the case here. What? What's the? Yes, Nat. I, I would think kind of refers back to verse 18 about putting yeah. the your body. And- yeah. Yeah. So, Heather, you were going to add something there? A lot of times when we say what, we either question if what they just said mm-hmm. is true, mm-hmm. or we want them to clarify it. Yes. So what is Paul doing here by the inspiration of God? He, he's clarifying. He's emphasizing. He's declaring, yes, but it's in the form of an interrogative because he wants us... Obviously, the Corinthians in the immediate context, but God has this obviously for all of us as a declaration of emphasis, of clarity. This should be very clear and obvious. This is something that God is emphasizing that should not really be debated, right? What? What did he just say, as you pointed out, Nat, in verse 18? Flee fornication. He talks about the body not being for fornication. But isn't this one of the areas in our culture today that is ground, given up, even by those who claim the name of Christ, even those who will be professing Christians, living together, premarital sex, all of the various forms of Pornography, whether you want to call it soft porn, to hardcore, to innuendos, the whole gamut, so much ground has been given up, hasn't it, to the world, to the cultural trends and the cultural expectations, and Paul's saying, what, if there's anything that should be clear, and with emphasis, and then he asks another question, and again, we often use it as a declarative, but he's saying, Don't you know, isn't this so obvious that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Therefore, you should not give it over to fornication. Now, doesn't this also strike to the heart of one of the issues in our culture today? This whole, our body is separate from our spirit or our body is separate from our identity. This whole body and gender, I can be physically, biologically one Gender, but I was born in the wrong body, and the body and the spirit, or the body and the identity are separated. Yes, we are body, soul, and spirit, but isn't there this in the LGBT and this trans movement? Isn't there this teaching, this humanistic, secular, anti God, anti truth, anti reality, anti Christ? culture in which we live where I'm born in the wrong body. Somehow our body is separate from the rest of who we are. No, we're body, soul, and spirit. Yes, when we die, our, uh, our spirit, our soul enters into the presence of God. Our body remains, but eventually they're brought back together. At the resurrection day, God reunites our, our body, soul, and spirit together, and we're in the presence of the Lord in a glorified body. Okay, but born in the wrong body? Having a, a physical aspect of our biology of our biologics that's separate. I mean, we take medicine, we go to the doctor, we have lots of different, I mean, we have pain and we have physical afflictions that that do affect the way we think, that can affect even our overall attitude and our spirit, and we have to Uh, Trust the Lord through trials, through tribulations. There can be a physical side to addictions and to mental health, um, depression and discouragement. We don't separate the body. We include it together. And he's saying fornication is a bodily, it's it's a sin with the body. But he's saying what? He's saying that fornication affects the spirit. It affects the soul, it affects the emotions and the mind of man. That's one of the things that our culture is just completely eliminating from the thought of all this promiscuity and infidelity and immorality that goes on in our culture in in treating uh, the physical act, the, the sexual act, as just a recreational act. When it is a, a part of God's design for reproduction, for children. And there's a one flesh principle, so there's a body, soul, and spirit aspect. So that's the immediate context. Now let's take this immediate application, let's go forward with this and continue with this in, in, in application in other areas of life, Okay. I, I borrowed this definition of obedience um, from uh, a book and uh, I can't remember the author's name now, but I thought it was an excellent definition. It's a little bit lengthy, but we think of obedience as, in, in a simple way, and we teach your children, obedience is what? Just do what you're told, right? And we talk about obeying sweetly with the right attitude, obeying completely, Doing everything that you're told to do, and uh, obeying right away. Do what you're told and do it, do it right away. Do it immediately. Okay. So sweetly, completely, and or immediately or or right away. Okay. So we teach our children, and maybe you've learned the song, O B E D I E N C E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. I grew up on. Uh, learning that song, junior church, children's church, Sunday schools, good song, simple practical truths. Well, here's an app. Here, excuse me. Here's a definition that even makes some application. Obedience is the freedom of choice to surrender to Him, to God, in order to find fulfillment as His captive. This embodies what Romans talks about in freedom from sin and freedom to serve God. Obedience is freedom to serve God, to follow his will, to do what he tells us to do. And what God always tells us to do is always right and is always what is best for us. But in a day and age of personal autonomy, it's this idea of I get to do whatever I want, whatever I, whenever I want, however I want, to whatever extent that I want to do it, and how dare you tell me otherwise. That's the attitude of our culture today, and this expressive individualism and all that that goes along with it. No, the Bible clearly identifies obedience, and so I love this definition. It's the freedom to serve God, to obey God, to do his will. It involves surrender. And it results in a fulfillment, a satisfaction, a peace, and a joy of pleasing the Lord as his captive, as his slave, as his servant. And we are to obey him completely in every way. So we must accept all that God says about us without debate if we want fulfillment in life. We must accept all that God says about us without debate, if we want fulfillment in life. Now, we get things wrong. We can make some assumptions. Sometimes we come with preconceived notions. Sometimes we don't come with all the facts. We can make mistakes. And sometimes, as we're trying to find out the facts, (laughs) we have to kind of go back and forth, and we have to work on the right principles of communication and have the right attitude and spirit as we go through. I mean, we as husbands and wives, um, and this happens in any, any relationship really, but husbands and wives, we, we, we don't fight, right? We just have strong arguments or we have debates. We have loving conversations, but we have to work things out. We have to get together and communicate and, any kind of relationship is going to have to have some principles of communication in practice uh, principles of truth and fact. Okay, But does God already know all the facts? <laughs> does he already know our hearts? <laughs> we get into the questions of motivations, right? Does God already know our motive? It's very humbling, isn't it? He already knows, oh, we might be able to hide something from a person who questions us or accuses us or interrogates us. There are certain people who know us very well. You ever had a relationship maybe with your spouse and you kind of already know what the other person's going to say and you kind of finish each other's sentences, so to speak? Well, God already knows us inside and out. He knows our motives. He knows our thoughts. He knows the the, the real you. So we could go to a a lot of other places, but let's look at three. What does Romans 3 and verse 23 say about us? All sin. That's a reality that much of our culture doesn't even want to agree with. Much of our culture wants to redefine sin, excuse sin, not even call it sin, all these different terms and euphemisms that are out there. One of the things I've emphasized, I know repeatedly, but not just as... uh, a school principal, but as, as a pastor, but I know as a school principal in choosing curriculum and textbooks and we, we know that with all the different ideologies and ideas and philosophies, there are some you gotta you gotta figure out. I mean there's all kinds of podcasts and people on the radio and internet and you gotta you gotta do some research sometimes and find out what do they believe about some Essential, not just theology, but these, like, like, anthropology. Not just theology, but even their anthropology. What do they believe about the sinfulness of man? Sometimes you, you, you hear a little bit, you read a little bit, and you think, okay, they, they seem to have some things right. You dig a little deeper, and you find out that their view of man is not that he is inherently sinful, that he's depraved. What does that do to eventually to their theology, to their eschatology, to a lot of other applications? What if, what if their view is that you can wash away your original sin through some form of, or mode of baptism as a baby, as, I don't know, a young person in some sort of ceremony? Does that not affect theology a lot of other... And doctrines and areas of life. So now there's now there's even this movement and this this it doesn't help not of course we don't follow the pope. Of course we don't. But now he's even trying to divide catholics and divide priests. Oh, you can practice blessings pastorally you can bless an individual in a same-sex marriage, even though they're living in sin, but we'll keep our doctrine. So now there's orthodoxy of doctrine. We know that Catholic doctrine is not orthodox, okay. But you understand for the sake of the, the illustration. But this, this happens in, in evangelical, Protestant, in, 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 in uh, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching circles as well, where orthopraxy doesn't matter oh, we'll hold to doctrine, it's, it's even on our website, it's in our statements, but our orthopraxy, we don't, we don't enforce that. We don't, we don't really apply that. And so what, what we're finding even now, more and more, is there is a disobedience that is excused, but it, we have the right things said on paper. We have the right things said in our statement, but we don't, we don't really practice that will even excuse disobedience. I was just reading this week a church that has some pretty good statements as far as their statement of faith, their doctrine, but their practice, what they apply, what they make for application, there are areas of clear disobedience that the Scripture has said very clearly, but, oh, but there's not a thou shalt not, or we don't apply that, there, there's too much room for debate, so we don't, we don't come down, there, Well, some of those areas were clearly acts of disobedience, areas of disobedience. So now there's even this divide of orthopraxy and orthodoxy we've got to watch out for. And that's been part of Satan's plan from early on, right? Hath God said, oh, yeah, he gave you a lot of good things. He gave you a lot of truth, but there's some things in there that God said that aren't, that aren't right. And As a matter of fact, you can apply it this way, even though God said this. Isn't that where, I mean, that, that strategy is, is there, okay? What about Ephesians two one through three? What does God say about us in Ephesians two one through three? We're in Ephesians. I'm sorry. We're in 1 Corinthians six. Flip over a few pages to Ephesians two. What does Ephesians two one through three say about us? We were what dead, right? in trespasses and sins. What about verse 2? We walked how? Outside of Christ, we walked according to the course of this world. We let the world pretty much dictate, set our standards, values, what we live for, how we lived, according to the prince of the power of the air, child of Satan, What did Jesus say? Was it John 8? And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are beginning to attack Jesus and accuse Jesus and question him. And what did Jesus say? You are of your father the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. All right? He was a liar from the beginning. um, Father of lies. Murderer from the beginning. Father of lies. Jesus shot it straight, didn't he? I mean, before we were... Saved. Dead in trespasses and sins. Walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Also, what was the driving influence motive? The spirit that what? Now worketh. That continues to work in the children of disobedience. Saying, I'm going to. Maybe in a religious way acknowledge God, but I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to just live in disobedience and ignore God. I'm going to make up my own God and live my own way. All the different various ways in which man excuses his sin. This is what we were outside of Christ. Verse 3, we had our conversation, our lifestyle, our way of living, our manner of life in times past in what? Bless of our flesh, is that not, don't we see, as, especially as people push away the word of God and church, and they're just, you work around unsaved people, we interact to some degree, right, with unsaved people throughout the week. There's a, there are some that, there seems like very little that checks their flesh. <laughs> yes, Nat? So Paul says in verse 3, among have also we all. Yeah, we were there. And such we we would be if not for the grace of God, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. It's not a very pretty picture, is it? But this is the reality of what we are. This is the truth about what God says about us. What about Jeremiah 17, verse 9? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Are we supposed to follow our heart? And that's what Disney has told us for 100 years, right? Follow your heart. I'm not saying you can't watch a, a a good Disney movie or a good Disney film, but aren't we seeing some of the fallout of a moralism that is based on following our heart? Where Where is Disney now? <laughs> we don't even know what a boy or a girl is. On and on we could go. We don't, we don't have to get into all that now, but... This follow your heart. Can we really follow our heart if it's deceitful and desperately wicked? Got to check our hearts. we talked about that in the book of James and looking inside our, our, our motives, our hearts and looking at our motives and our desires. Okay, so this is the truth. And there's many other passages. But what does God say then about us upon our receiving Christ as our personal savior? What do we find in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10? I love this. I love this transition in Ephesians 2. What is verse, what's the first two words of Ephesians 2 in verse number 4? But God. I love this passage. In order to get the good news, in a sense, we've got to believe the bad news. We've got to hear the bad news. We've got to believe it about ourselves before there's ever, in a sense, the receiving and the believing of the good news. Okay. So, but God who is what? Rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. This is not because we sought after him. He sent his, God sent his only son. He draws all men to himself. I have you him lifted up? and draw all men unto myself. There's the general grace. Okay, we can get into all that. But it's because he loved us. Because he sent his son. Because he loved the world sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for us, that there could ever be any salvation, redemption. It was God's doing, salvation is of the Lord. We don't justify ourselves. We didn't do the propitiating, satisfying the wrath of God, did we? We didn't do the sanctifying, God did it. Now we're in the progressive state, and we look forward to the glorified state, but even when we were dead in sins, verse 5, he hath what? Quickened, quickened, made us alive with Christ. By grace are ye saved. Raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places. Um, Wednesday night I showed a slide that uh, dealt with some of this, and I didn't um, put it up on the screen today. But the exceeding riches of his grace, his kindness, verse 7. There again, for by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. We know this passage well, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What about John 1.12? What does John 1.12 say about us? Upon receiving Christ as our Savior, John 1.12 says what? Sons of God, exactly. Children of God. How in the world can we ever be a child of God, if not for the grace of God, if not for Jesus Christ, and then John 5 and verse 24, what do we read in John 5 and verse 24, again there are many other passages, but these are just a few to remind us of what we are upon receiving Christ, or in Christ, what we are in Christ, John 5 and verse 24, verily, verily I say unto you, he that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, what? hath everlasting life, and shall not come into what? Condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. We're alive in Christ. We're no longer under condemnation. So these are a couple of questions that we have some Bible answers for. We're not looking at every, obviously it's not an exhaustive list, but a third question here. No matter how godly or ungodly our father is, our earthly father is, our heavenly father is holy. He never fails us. So what do we learn about God from these passages? What about or excuse me, 2 Chronicles 16 and verse number 9? So our view of ourselves outside of Christ, in Christ. Now we're drawing our view as so we're looking at managing life and submission. Now we're looking... To God, we're getting our view of him from Scripture as he's revealed himself, obviously, in the person of Jesus Christ. But going back to the Old Testament, three verses from the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9. What do we learn about God from this verse? Anybody have it? Derek? So there's a second um, part to that verse that deals with the judgment of God upon sin. But what does he say? The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. And he does what? He shows himself strong. Shows himself strong. And then there's the judgment aspect for those who have disobeyed him, done their own thing. What about Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27? Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. What do we learn about God from Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27? This is in the final chapters of the book of Deuteronomy as Moses is finishing up his last sermon before he, is, before he leaves this earth, before he dies. And he's buried there on the mountain. He's giving his last sermon. And we read in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27 that God is eternal. He is our refuge. He has everlasting arms. He shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. So there's going to be, in that immediate application, there's going to be victory over the Canaanites. Okay. So there's victory. And then we know Psalm 23, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not once. Maketh me to lie down in green pastures, leadeth me beside the still waters. Restoreth my soul, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies, the cup runneth over, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and then there's the future of heaven, there's the prospect of heaven, right? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A lot revealed about our God just in Psalm 23, which we know so well. Okay, so view of ourselves outside of Christ, view of ourselves in Christ, having trusted Christ as our Savior, view of God. So what should our response be? We should live every day in the realization of who God is. Wouldn't that change our lives? That he knows us, he sees us, that he is God and we are not him. We get too big for our britches, don't we? God wants us to live, there's a quote off to the side here, God wants us to live in the fellowship lane instead of the fast lane. We are a go, 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 go society, aren't we? Pack our schedule. And just constantly have things. And there's an aspect to work and ethic and having a good work ethic. That's good. But sometimes we just need to be still and know that he is God, don't we? And we need to maybe slow down and not be so much a Martha sometimes and be more of a Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus. So we have to balance that out, I realize. But some other passages that, that help us in improving our relationship with the Heavenly Father. First Peter 1 and verse number 16. I don't know if anybody has turned a head there yet, but 1 Peter 1 and verse 16. What does that say about our relationship with our Heavenly Father? 1 Peter 1 and verse 16. Mark Herbster preached on this yesterday. Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's taken right out of the book of Leviticus. So holiness, all right. What about 1 John 1, 3 and 4? 1 John 1, 3 and 4. What else about our relationship, improving our relationship with our Heavenly Father in the family of God? Fellowship, fellowship good. So First John 1, 3 and 4. That ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So write, a heart right with God, right fellowship with the Heavenly Father, and how does that then also Affect our relationship with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Oftentimes, don't we see the correlation? If we're not right with God, it affects our relationship with, with others. So the fellowship, the right fellowship with the Father, and how that affects our fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 6, we don't have time to read all of this, but we've been, uh, we started off in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, and then this whole passage, the context, of verses 9 through 18. Paul is going to address the fact that we should glorify God with our bodies. He talks, with, talks about meat for the belly and all that. And then he goes down in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 6, And God hath both raised, us, raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. So, skipping ahead... Do we not see in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, similar to what we see in Ephesians 1 and verse 20? How did God demonstrate the extent of his power that is available in our lives? By doing what? Raising up his son. So in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, and God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. So we are seeing this power of God, the resurrection power of God, to help us with what? Godly living. Holy living. We we can't do it on our own. We can't live the Christian life in our own strength and by our own power. We must submit to him. We must have the right view of God. We must see our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. We must... Rely upon his resurrection power. I skipped over one one note there from the previous slide, but God gives us his attention. He gives us his affection. He gives us his assistance. And sometimes that includes his correction because we want to do it our way. We want to depend on our own wisdom. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in the next in, in the morning service as we get into James 4 and verses 13 through 18. And we've talked about even the pride that gets in the way as we looked at uh, James 4 in submitting to God and drawing nigh to God. Okay? But that resurrection power, and what is it, Second Peter chapter 1, maybe verse 3, according to his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He's given us everything we need for salvation. He saved us, and he empowers us for living the Christian life. But we want to depend on our own strength. We want to do things our way and depend on our own power. So for a healthy spiritual life, we must have the right attitude toward God. Whoops, went too far. So let's think about our attitude toward God. Do we ever have a bad attitude toward anybody? Do you ever have a child or a grandchild who gets a bad attitude? (laughs) I know I've had my times of bad attitude. And I've had to deal with my own share of bad attitudes in my own home. Sometimes my wife has had to help me (laughs) fix my bad attitude. (laughs) Um, The Lord uses different people and different things to help us get a a better perspective, better attitude, right? What what often fixes our bad attitude when it comes to a situation at home or at work or wherever? What often fixes our, our bad attitude? Thinking differently about the situation, right? Fixing the problem in maybe our own heart. We get so focused on fixing the problem in the other person, and many times God says, no, it's not going to get fixed there until your heart is right here, until you submit here. Submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God, in the home, in relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, I've been in meetings where there, there, there's two people and there's the Holy Spirit, but somebody is not letting the Holy Spirit control. And the, you know what those meetings are like? And somebody somewhere is pushing away the principles of God's word, pushing away the control of the Holy Spirit. And it gets, very, it gets to be very frustrating. The change of mind, submitting to the principles, the truths of the word of God, to the Holy Spirit, that can help us in fixing a lot of issues in our relationships, in our own personal life, reminding ourselves, he owns us. He made us. He redeemed us, right there, those two, B and C. Two aspects, right there, of his ownership. He created us in the first place, and then he redeemed us, when he could have left us in our own sin and let us go to hell. Doesn't that change our perspective a lot? When we're fighting for our own way and getting what we feel like we deserve, and it doesn't mean that we be a doormat, that we get treated like the inside of the lobby when everybody comes in and wipes their shoes off with the snow and everything, right? Doesn't mean you have to necessarily necessarily be that dirty towel at the back door like we have for our dog when he comes in with all the, the mud and everything. But there are times in life where we do have to humble ourselves and allow ourselves to get trampled on. But it doesn't mean that we go through life and never have any confidence, that we never speak up, that we never have constructive criticism, whatever. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that we don't have a confidence in God's abilities that he's given us and we depend upon the Lord. It's not that. But doesn't it go a long way in fixing relationship issues? Doesn't it go a long way in helping us with our own pride when we realize that he made us? And he redeemed us, that he owns us, and that we need his help and direction. Don't we sometimes get frustrated with our kids? Because they think they got it all figured out. They're 13, right? They turn 13. And all of a sudden, when they turn 13, they know everything there is to know about life. They got it all figured out. And then they get that driver's license, right? Get that driver's license. And now they've got wheels, they've got power, they can go places. So do they just get to take the keys whenever? What about when their gas runs out for their gas tank? <laughs> hey, Dad, hey, Mom, can I borrow the, the debit card, or can, we, you know, can you take my car over? To... How quickly, right? The attitude and the forgetfulness. And, and, but then we have that same sometimes spirit and attitude toward God if we're not careful. Okay. So attitude and then action. We also need to have the right action before God. We need to live for God rather than self. Self keeps getting in the way. I like the quote. I think it might be um, Ken Collier from the Wilds. Just two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. Many times, what do we want to do? We want to take God off the shelf and we want to put self up there on the top shelf and Either put God lower or take him off completely, and we want to choose self above God, above others. It's a constant battle. So the right actions before God, how about serving him? How do we serve God? How do we serve God? Yes? I find the easiest way is simply just to be obedient in every situation, one step at a time. exactly right. Exactly right. I often talk about with the will of God with young people, I often talk about the stepping stones. Maybe going across a creek and there's stones, limbs, maybe there's a garden, a path, maybe you have some stepping stones, walking stones somewhere in your yard. I know we have some in our backyard and around the side of the house and they've been very it's been very nice when we go around the house and there's been some rain and you got a nice dry place or at least a a hard surface instead of stepping in the mud but the next right step I often tell people the next right step what's the next obedient thing right here right now and I think Mark Hurster even talked about it yesterday when it came to authority he was preaching and he talked about authority and how many times just just obey the authority that God has put in your life right here right now for this particular moment just obey and you might find that God opens up another door and reveals something else and another direction and find yourself avoiding a lot of trouble just obeying that next step that authority okay how else do we serve God we can talk about the practical spiritual disciplines right bible study prayer how else do we serve God folding the chair picking up a table cooking a meal setting a card serving one another exactly Sometimes it means we volunteer, we step out, and we serve in an area we didn't think that we had any ability in. I can think of several times in my life where it was just, what well, they say sometimes the greatest ability is dependability, and then you've maybe heard it this way, the greatest ability is availability. There's no one else to do it. You just step up and do it. You just, you volunteer, and then you, you sometimes you do that, you step out in faith, and you realize, hmm you know what, God worked in my heart there and I actually enjoyed that. Or somebody comes along and says, oh, I didn't know you could, you did a good job there. And not that it's pride, but it might be the way the Lord is saying, there's an area you can serve. There's an area you can, and often it does involve some measure of sacrifice. It does involve some measure of loss of time or money or comfort or whatever. But serving God is a lot of fun, if I can say it that way. In the right sense of the, the word. Serving God brings a lot of joy and satisfaction. There is joy in serving Jesus, the song says, the chorus says. What about prayer? Actions toward God. God wants us to come to him in prayer. Praise, petitioning the Father. Coming boldly, with thanksgiving, persistently. First Thessalonians 5.17 speaks to this idea of praying always, continuing in prayer Colossians 4 and verse 2, continuing in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always. Luke 18, 1, not always to pray and not to faint. Romans 12, verse 12, continuing instant in prayer, ready and always. That mindset of prayer. Luke 21, 36, watch ye therefore and pray always. We might be really good on the watching, but sometimes we're not so good on the praying. But watch ye therefore and pray always. And then what's the result of that? Be anxious for nothing, don't worry about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. and the peace of God shall rule your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So that brings us to the, the end of our, our lesson for today. We're talking about managing life biblically. We talked last week about stewardship. We're looking at today, submission. Any comments or, or questions? Yes, Derek. When mm-hmm. I think of that definition had Yes. Right. 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 Even in, the, even in the things that we think, okay, as an unsaved individual, even in the things that we are doing that are right, that are good, are done for what? For self, to try to earn favor, to try to earn salvation. There, even the good works that we do are what? Filthy rags, dirty claws. So yeah, there's a, there's a freedom. And what does the world constantly portray? The freedom is in sinful activities, right? The immorality is going to get you a nice car and a good-looking girl or a good-looking guy. That's what, that's what the world portrays, right? Immorality is going to get you places in life, lying, deception, on and on it goes. We see the advertisements. It's in the music. It's in the entertainment, the programs. We have to watch out for it because if we're not careful, it gets into our psyche, it gets into our thinking. That the real fun, the real satisfaction, the real joy. And sometimes we think, and we get caught up in that, and we have to remember like David, like the psalmist in Psalm 73. Then I went into the house of the Lord. And then I saw, I realized their end. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And so, good, good reminder there. Real freedom is in obedience to the Lord. Anything else? Derek? You're on your third. <laughs> just I'm just teasing. Go ahead. Yeah, that's a good point. We want yeah, we want to hang on to the to both shells. Yeah, that's right. And we'll we'll put self up there and then we'll try to hang on. Yeah. yeah. It's like going up it's like going up a, a real tall ladder and you're trying to hang on. I mean have you ever seen those guys doing roofing and they'll sometimes they'll carry the, the shingles and they're going up the they're more, much more daring than me, but we'll try to go through life like that. We'll try to carry all the burdens of the world and go up a ladder and say, well, yeah, we're going to serve God. And we're trying to hang on to both. Usually ends up with some pretty, pretty bad consequences. Yeah, good point. Anything else? No? OK, well, let's close in prayer and then we'll get ready for the service. Lord, we thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, these practical truths, Lord, may they reach our hearts. Maybe live them out. Pray, bless now the service, and we ask, Lord, for your uh, blessings upon the day. Watch over those who are not able to be with us due to the weather or, or health or other reasons, and pray that you be with them also in these other special needs. And we again give you the praise and the glory, and thank you for our time and the opportunity to come worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, about fifteen minutes, we'll start the service. Thanks for coming this morning.